Welcome to the Running for Office as an Online Candidate podcast. In this series, we cover the tips, tricks, and ideas for local political candidates who want to leverage the internet to help win their election. I'm Shane Daly, partner of Daly Professional Web Solutions and Online Candidate. In this episode, we'll discuss the creation of your campaign website, from choosing a domain name to content considerations and building out your site. We'll talk about how it works, some potential pitfalls, and how to deal with what you may encounter. With the rise of social media, the role of the political campaign website has shifted. Where a website used to be the bulk of a candidate's online presence, it now acts as more of an informational hub. Regardless, your website is still critical as both an online platform and as a place to reference in your advertising. Some people confuse having a website with having an online strategy. A website is only one component of a greater online campaign. Modern political candidates not only need a campaign website, but also a plan to develop and market it effectively. I'm going to get a little technical here and give you a quick overview of how websites, domain names, and hosting works. Securing or registering a domain name is the first step of any website. A domain name is what you know of as a site name, such as Smith for Office or LexSmith.org. Registering a domain is pretty simple and inexpensive. You can register a domain when you start a website or even beforehand. This is because domain registration and web hosting are two separate processes. A domain must be registered through what's called the domain registration company, or also called a registrar. That domain name is pointed to the server of a hosting company where the actual website files reside. You can register your domain name and host your website with the same company, or you can split your domain name registration and hosting between two different companies. Some popular registrars include GoDaddy.com and Name.com. Actually, most companies that provide website hosting also provide domain name registration services. So how do you know if the domain name you want is available to use? You can check the status of a domain name through a registrar site by performing what's called a Whois search. If the name you want is available, then you can register it. Most registrars also allow you the option of what's called a private registration. This hides the domain name owner's publicly available information and prevents the registrant's name, address, email address, and phone number from being found online. The biggest benefit to private registration is that it helps reduce spam and, increasingly, phone solicitations. Occasionally, we have clients who complain that after they ordered a website and domain through us, they keep getting emails and phone calls offering all kinds of search engine optimization and advertising services. We tell them that we don't sell or share client information, but because they registered a domain name, that information is now publicly available through the ICANN organization which is responsible for coordinating internet namespace databases. So while domain privacy options cost a bit, it's well worth it for the spam it prevents. In choosing a domain name, simple is often best. Some political consultants advise against using your own name for a domain name. We disagree. If your name's John Smith, go with johnsmith.com, or the name that will appear on the ballot. If your name's already registered, try a variation. For example, electjohnsmith or votejohnsmith.com. Search engines weigh the domain name heavily in determining relevancy for a keyword phrase. In other words, if you have your name somewhere in the domain name, it boosts the chances that your site will rank well for a search of your name. When you choose your domain name, you're going to want to keep it short and memorable. Even though you can make your domain name as long as you want, how many people are going to actually want to type, or even type correctly, elect John Smith for tinytowncouncil.com? Keep in mind that domain names are rented from a registrar and never owned. You only have a right to use that name as long as you keep paying for it. If you stop paying, you'll lose it. We've had a few clients forget to renew their domain names. In some cases, they've been able to re-register them, and in other cases, they've been picked up by other companies that attempt to resell the names. 
One time we had a client lose a domain name and a few weeks later they found out that another company had re-registered the domain name and was attempting to resell it for over $1,100. Needless to say, the client bought a new and different domain name and used that for their website. We've seen over the years that old presidential candidate domains tend to be in high demand because of their previous traffic levels. Sometimes those domains are picked up by less than scrupulous businesses. You really have no control over who may later pick up your discarded domain name. Not knowing who may pick up a domain name is a good reason to choose a name that you'll want to hang on to for a while. In addition to the regular .com and .org domains, there are now literally dozens of new top-level domains available. Today, you can register a .democrat, .republican, .voting, or .community domain. For now, the traditional .com and .org extensions are standard. However, for smaller sites or microsites, or if you want to target specific audiences, a political domain name extension certainly draws attention. So what about registering the domain name of your political opponent? While it's possible to register the domain name of a political opponent, it's not recommended. Underhanded tricks like that are often revealed and can backfire on you. And registering the name of an opponent and using it maliciously can get you into legal trouble. There was an instance where one of our client's opponents registered a domain name that included the client's name. The client had a lawyer send a cease and desist letter to his opponent, basically forced him to return the domain name over to his client. Another time, someone bought up a whole bunch of domain names related to the client and tried to sell them to the client at an inflated price. We suggested to the client that they just go with an entirely different but related domain name. That left the domain speculator stuck with a bunch of unusable domain names. Speculator couldn't use them, and they really couldn't sell them to anyone else either. Some of the domains included the election year too, which would make them even more worthless in the future. And there isn't much use defensively purchasing every domain name that could be possibly used against you, such as like johnsmithsucks.com. Instead, put your efforts towards promoting your own message. I want to give you one more domain tip. Make sure that the registrar contact of your domain name is listed as the candidate or the campaign organization's name. The registrar is considered the owner of the domain, and it's important that the domain name lists the proper registrant. This is especially important if someone else, such as a web designer, registers your domain for you. With our online candidate clients, the registrant is automatically listed in the client's name. You could check the status of any domain name through a Whois search. You could find this service on your registrar's site or through sites such as whois.net. Type in the domain name in the search box. You'll see when the name is set to expire along with other information. Now, let's talk about planning your campaign website content. Planning your content ahead of time makes building your site much easier. Because when you strip away the bells and whistles, a website comes down to two things, text and visuals. A typical political campaign website has, but is not limited to, the following content. A homepage. So a homepage text should announce your campaign, why you're running, and what you hope to accomplish. In time, this text can be updated to include new developments or to shift focus from awareness to support gathering. You'll see in some larger races, the homepage is often used as a donation page. That tends to work better for higher profile races. For more local races, you may want to let visitors know who you are before you hit them up for money. Your about or bio page should tell more than just whether you're qualified for the position. It should also give reasons for voters to relate to you. Your issues and position pages are actually what sets you apart from your opponents and should give voters reasons to support you. Somewhere on your site, you should also provide a summary of local voting requirements. You can provide links to your state and county voting registration information. The news section or blog part of your site should include announcements, links to news, and event coverage. Your donation page is where the site can accept online donations and or tell people where they can send money. The page can have a donation form or link out to a secure donation page elsewhere. 
Be sure that your donation page requests all the donor information required by law. We'll talk more about online fundraising in a future episode. You can also have a volunteer page. This page can include a form to gather information from those who might want to help the campaign. An online press kit can include digital versions of campaign literature, images, and other information about you and your campaign. Remember that a website's an organic thing. It grows and evolves over time. Don't worry if you don't know everything you want on the site to initially contain, or exactly how you want it to look, and that'll come in time. So, how should you write all this content? Studies show that people read from computer screens about 25% slower than they read from paper. Most readers scan website text rather than carefully reading it. Use interesting headlines and section headers to break up your content. Believe it or not, there are campaign websites out there that barely mention the name of the candidate. Sometimes this is due to the tense in which the content is written, and it can make all the difference to a search engine. Writing in the first-person narrative means writing from the I point of view, such as, I am running for office, I have the necessary skills and ability to do my job, my background is in, and so on. A search engine won't know what a web page is if there isn't enough relevant text on the page, or if the entire page is just an image. Google doesn't know who I is, if that makes sense. Contrast this to third person where it reads like this. Bob Smith is running for office. Bob Smith has the necessary skills and ability to do the job. Smith's background is in so on and so forth. Try to write your web content in third person, using the candidate's full name when relevant. First person narrative is often more appropriate for a candidate's personal message or an open letter to voters. If you use this type of copy in first person, add what's called pull quotes on the page that mention the candidate's name. A pull quote is like a brief quotation or a phrase pulled from the main text and used as a subheading, a break within a block of text, or as a graphic feature. It's amazing how many local campaign sites say, Candidate X for mayor, but don't mention the municipality state. If you're running for office in Montgomery, is that Montgomery, New York, or Montgomery, Alabama? Don't make people guess. And don't assume that everyone knows the day that they need to go out and vote for you. And also add the year. A lot of old websites are still out there asking for votes, even though Election Day is long come and gone. It's another good reason to keep your website up to date, even after the campaign. All U.S. jurisdictions have laws covering the use of disclosure statements on political advertising. Items that typically uh, require disclosure statements include billboards, bumper stickers, sample ballots, newspaper ads, TV and radio ads, magazines, mass mailings, websites, and even email. The specific wording required is usually some variant of paid for and authorized by the candidate or political group. Most campaigns place this information in the footer of each web page. Besides a paid for disclaimer, consider adding a site privacy policy. It's best to be restrictive with your privacy policy and promise not to share or sell visitor information with anyone. This section can also cover users under a certain age. If you have terms of use, they can be broken out separately or sometimes they're lumped together with the privacy policy. You may want to get legal advice when crafting your site policies, though. So this wraps up our episode. We covered the basics of domain names and initial content planning and creation. I hope this gave you some ideas for your own campaign website. We'll cover more on creating a campaign website in our next podcast. Thanks for listening. Make sure to visit our website at onlinecandidate.com, where you'll find articles, resources, and information about campaign website services. If you like this podcast, you might want to check out our book, Running for Office as an Online Candidate available on onlinecandidate.com and amazon.com.